today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Big news last week, of course, was the uh, quote-unquote resignation of Governor General Julie Payette uh, because of the uh, report that I talked about, the toxic workplace that was going on in Rideau Hall. Uh, well, another controversial uh, member of uh, our government, uh, controversial Ontario Senator Lynn Bayak, is retiring. Stephanie Levitz has the details. Bayek was appointed under Prime Minister Stephen Harper in 2013, and under Harper's plan for an elected Senate, eight years was the maximum senators would have been allowed to stay. Bayek says she never intended to sit in the upper chamber any longer, but she's also retiring ahead of her potential expulsion. Bayek had been kicked out of the Conservative caucus over controversial comments she made about residential schools in 2017, though says today she still stands by those remarks. In 2019, she'd been suspended from the Senate itself over racist letters posted on her website, and the Senate still hadn't decided whether she'd be reinstated. Stephanie Levitz, The Canadian Press, Ottawa. Yes, indeed. She is a piece of work. Uh, joining us to talk about this is Justin Ling. Justin, of course, a freelance investigative journalist. Uh, thanks so much for the time, Justin. Great to have you with us again today. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. She's uh, been in the news uh, for the longest time here for all the wrong reasons. Were you surprised at her resignation? Yeah, frankly, I was. I, you know, if you sit in the upper chamber, your ability to hang on is, 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 is pretty impressive. I mean, um, it takes a lot to boot out a member of the upper chamber. Think back, what, six years ago, uh, when there was a, a movement afoot to get rid of um, uh, Senator Brazo, Senator Duffy, and Senator Wallen, and, and yeah. it failed, right? You know, they're all still there, I mean, with Wallen accepted. Well, um, the, 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 if, if don't forget Senator... Don't forget Senator Meredith, too, Don Meredith, course, yeah. uh, who was accused of, uh, shall we say, sexual impropriety. And, and it was kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink, oh, yeah, big deal. You know, you're right. They, uh, they, they, they're pretty protective of each other. Yeah, I mean, there just is not the mechanism you know, available to the Senate to, to get rid of people. I mean, of course, in the House of Commons, if, if you were to engage in the sort of stuff that many of these senators have done, you would lose your next uh, bid for re-election pretty handily, I think. Um, but if, if you are a senator, your ability to sort of dig in and, and stay where you're at is, is pretty impressive. Well, we've seen this happen. You're right on the other side of the chamber, just down the hall, Justin. Uh, you know, both the, the Trudeau government yesterday and, and the week before that, Aaron O'Toole mm -hmm. kicked people out of their caucus because they said, we don't want your kind here. Yeah, and of course, if if you're not in the caucus in the House of Commons, your uh, you know your your level of power is incredibly diminished, and your likelihood of getting reelected is is frankly infinitesimal unless you're incredibly popular uh, in your riding. And you know, what's actually really frustrating about all of this is that in the Senate, a single member carries an incredible amount of weight. You know, I've seen uh, numerous pieces of legislation which have been uh, thwarted, uh, defeated, or just sort of kicked down the line by individual senators um, who frankly just have a grudge against against the bill. They, they you know, they frankly have an anti-democratic amount of, of power to, uh, to exercise over you know, what the government of Canada does. Well, and it's become even more fractious, hasn't it, over the last couple of years because of uh, the, uh, the well, the decision by uh, the first-term uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, to basically say, well, the you know the Liberal senators are no longer in the caucus, so now they've branched off, and there's there's no unity there, and and you know this is like spy versus spy; these guys are fighting each other all the time. And how many pieces of legislation? I mean, we've talked about the U.S. situation, Justin, but all these pieces of legislation that Mitch McConnell held up for somebody—it's into the hundreds, I think. Now, the same thing's happening in the. 
Canadian Senate with some key pieces of legislation. They're just not moving. There's some truth to that. So I'll be blunt with you. I actually think the Senate is probably working better now than it was working, you know, six years ago. You think so? Uh, I remember covering pieces of legislation that were being uh, frustrated and kneecapped by one or two senators who just had a grudge. Um, in some cases, it wasn't even about the legislation. In some cases, it was a grudge against the MP who sponsored the legislation, or in some cases it was um, against the party who had put the legislation forward. What you've seen over the last number of years, and this is from the liberal-appointed senators, but also many of the conservative senators, is a, a much a, a higher willingness to actually engage with legislation itself. You've seen some very badly written bills by the government get held up in the Senate by senators who actually genuinely seem to want to make it better. Um, I won't say the Senate is working well, but I'd say it's working better than it has been. I, and I, I know that every time we get a situation like what's going to happen here with, uh, well, soon-to-be ex-Senator Bayak, uh, there are some who are going to raise this issue, do we even really need the Senate? And I, I, I don't think we need to go there. I mean, this is a uh, our parliamentary system, and you know whether it's the House of Lords or the Senate, they, they should play. Uh, a, a key role in this and and there was probably a time i guess not too many years ago where they didn't as, as you say there was so many patronage appointments and i remember asking one former senator i was no longer in the senate at one time how many people actually do the work there and he says maybe half of them the others are just there because it's an appointment it's a prestige thing uh and and, and that person was very frustrated by the process as well but I, I i your point's well taken i think you know there's there's been a little more work and scrutiny going into exactly who gets appointed to that august body maybe with the exception of the senator we're talking about now yeah i think that's right i mean i actually frankly think the estimation that half the senators were doing the job is probably too optimistic you know i spent time in the senate and can tell you there were senators that you would never see except when it you know, came to coming and collecting their paycheck um you know i i think it's tough you know what do you do here i have a tremendous amount of sympathy for you know stephen harper's efforts to try to make this place better um i Obviously, his efforts were thwarted by the courts and by the Senate itself, and so on and so forth. Um, but you know, even look at Lynn Bayak. I mean, you know, you you heard off the top this this notion that she was supposed to have only been appointed for eight years. Well, you know, frankly, look how much good that did. I mean, really, even knowing that you have a job hell or high water for eight years gives you kind of carte blanche to do whatever you want. I mean, uh, you know, this is a senator who um, was posting outwardly racist letters to her website, who was repeatedly, um, you know, frankly, offensive. Just basically every indigenous person in this country was, was you know, using her perch in the Senate to, to suggest that maybe residential schools weren't so bad and that actually there was a lot of good that came from the abuse and sexual torment that a lot of these children faced. And, of course, you know, she also, a story I reported just a couple months ago, she also made an illegal donation to Donald Trump's presidential bid. Mm-hmm. Canadians are not allowed to do that. She's lied on her donation form so that she could, um, so that she could actually donate to, to his reelection bid. I mean, the woman just kept... In, you know, kept pushing the lines, kept, uh, I think, antagonizing you know, the people she's supposed to represent. Uh, and at a certain point, you know, even, even agreeing to these term limits doesn't mean a lot um, you know, when there's no other mechanism to get rid of her. And they were a nice part of the problem. You're right. I mean, there is some sense of accountability. Who was the Carolyn Parrish? That was the MP I was thinking of a few minutes ago, who uh, created some waves with some of her anti-American sediments back in the early 2000s, uh, and uh, was 
not necessarily ushered out of, of, of the, you know, the caucus, but, you know, basically, you know, kind of shoved to the side and they changed the locks, I think, on her. Uh, Garth Turner, remember the financial uh, expert who actually ran for Stephen Harper uh, and fell out of disfavor because he started criticizing the government. I remember talking to, Steve, uh, to him about that. And he says as soon as he got kicked out of the office, his office moved all the way. To, he says I was essentially beside the boiler room in the basement yeah. in the House of Commons with no support staff. I mean, they, they can really do something to you, and they can make your life a, a living hell uh, in in the parliamentary side of things. But when you get into the Senate side of things, you're absolutely right. I mean, these guys are, are there for, you know, as long as they want to be, and there's no, there's really no recourse on them. That's exactly right. And, I, I, you know, I I was incredibly skeptical. Of, of Prime Minister Trudeau's uh, efforts to, in his word, appoint better senators. Um, but frankly, one of the main problems with the way in which we are choosing members of the upper chamber is that we are choosing politicians, right? We are choosing mm-hmm. party donors, failed candidates, longtime organizers, and they know the system. They know how to game the system. They know how to play the system, right? I mean, these are political operatives. And in many respects, whether they were liberal or conservative or in a very, very rare case, NDP, um, they went into the upper chamber looking at this like a game. You know, how do I how do I you know, cling on? How do I um, you know, stay around till my pension kicks in? How do I do the least amount of work possible for the maximum amount of benefit for my party? You know, it, you saw um, people like Irving Gerstein sit in the Senate and, and organize the uh, fundraising campaign for the conservative party from his taxpayer-funded job in the Senate. That is wildly inappropriate. It was disgusting. The, the, the status quo now is that you know, the, you know, the folks who are being appointed and, and sitting in the Senate might be small L or big L liberals or conservatives or whatever, but at the very least, they're not engaging in the sort of partisan political skullduggery that you used to see. You actually generally see better senators sitting in the upper chamber. People like Marie Sinclair, who you really you cannot imagine a more reputable um, and 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 you know and and, and you know, strong-willed and and, and well-intentioned um, senator for the upper chamber. Um, people like uh, Kim Pate, who has used her her spot in the Senate to absolutely uh, dig into uh, the government's uh, criminal justice record. Um, you're genuinely seeing better people do a better job in the Senate. I I I was I was so skeptical of the prime minister's you know, effort to quote-unquote reform the Senate. But frankly, five years on, you're seeing a lot of dividends. Things are genuinely better. And this is coming from me, who I don't think we should have an upper chamber, frankly. Uh, but if we're going to have it, the status quo isn't so bad. I'm glad you brought up Murray Sinclair too, because just as a personal aside, I think he should be the next Governor General. Uh, but you know, I don't know how that process is going to unfold. But he certainly has the the chops for it, and uh, uh, with the work he has done, uh, I, I think he'd be a, a very worthy candidate for that role. But we'll see what happens over the next little while. The first, last one didn't work out so well, uh, but. We're getting into the into the as you say the personalities of this and uh, what about where is the the mechanism if there is one at all Justin uh, t- to expunge somebody like this I mean there used to be you know leaders in the Senate I mean uh, you know there was a liberal leader and a conservative leader in the Senate usually appointed by the Prime Minister themselves whoever was in power uh, and and they seem to have a little more sway over the members like that but as you say there's it's almost as if they're sitting as independents now which probably is not a bad thing. 
because you know back in I can remember you know doing politics back in the 50s and 60s I guess even into the 70s it was all as you mentioned all patronage appointments and they basically were trained seals you know once the piece of legislation came out liberals voted for liberal legislation conservatives voted conservatives we all remember the classic example of course Brian Mulroney became prime minister with a huge huge majority uh, the Senate was still dominated by, by the liberals of course because they had all those years Mulroney just pointed out a whole bunch of new senators and said here now we have the we have the yeah. hammer. I just what twenty five or thirty people and just said, "Here, you're a senator now. Vote for me." Uh, I think we're past that right now. I think it can be a more effective body. Uh, and and you know some of the comments from people like uh, like Bayak here uh, really I think taint some people that are doing some pretty decent work there. I, I totally agree. And actually, if you're going to want to go back and figure out the point at which sort of that party unity or that party control of the Senate started to break down. It was probably 2013-2014 in the midst of the Senate expense scandal. Um, you yeah. know, in that effort to expel um, you know, Duffy and Wallen and Brazo and later you know, Don Meredith, um, there was an effort from the party leaders to say, we've got we to gotta vote these folks out. If we have a majority vote, they can be expelled from the Senate. Um, well, what you saw was a lot of individual senators stand up and say, uh, you know, it could be them now, but what if it's me next? I don't want to create a precedent where it's this easy to turf one of our own. I like my job. I want to stay here till I'm 75. I want to collect my pension. There's no way I'm going to go and vote off the guy who sits next to me um, like it's a game of Survivor. So what you saw was, you know, those efforts fail um, in some small part because uh, party leadership was unable to kind of corral um, you know, senators into, into doing this. I think there's a real possibility that even if there had been an effort, of, or, you know, once the effort um, was genuinely made to oust Lynn Bayak, it may have failed. You may have seen several mm-hmm. senators say, you know, I don't like what she said, but it shouldn't be grounds to expel her. Or other senators say, if I vote her off, then everyone here is going to vote me off next time when I yeah. say something stupid. So it is not a functional way of ensuring that members of the upper chamber are accountable and reasonable and you know following um, the, the code of ethics and professionalism we expect from them. There needs to be a better way to handle this, and what that is, I'm not terribly sure, but trying to um, you know, get all of these senators together to vote each other off, that's not really the way to go. Well, and I think you're right. I think there's a reckoning goes on. And we're just about out of time here. But the Duffy trial was, I think, a pivotal point for that. Uh, because you remember when the tra- charges were dismissed against Duffy, you know, essentially what the judge said, I'll paraphrase this, is you guys are all doing it. Why are you picking yeah. on these guys? Uh, and and uh, that might have been a wake-up call to some of them. And maybe we're starting to see the, the fruits of that now. Justin, always a pleasure to have you on here. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Thanks for having me. Take care. Justin Ling, freelance uh, investigative journalist up on the Hill, uh, letting us know what's going on, especially with the Senate now and Lynn Bayak. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.